Good morning. Our scripture reading today is the Believer's Prayer found in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2022. It's good to be here. Good to be celebrating it with you. Thanks for braving the cold. Hey, thanks for rolling out of bed today. I bet some of you here didn't feel like doing that, but here you are. The few, the hardcore. That's what you are. So thanks for coming. Now, I got a message that I hope, uh, we're, not part of, we're not preaching in a sermon series today. It's what we might just call a standalone sermon uh, but be sure to come back next week. We're going to kick off a series called The Table. They were actually preached a service or a sermon series specifically on what we mean when we call ourselves Table Church. But that is what we're going to be talking about in the next series. And we're going to have a couple guest speakers as well through January. So I'm really excited uh, for what's in store. Today I want to I talk to you a little bit about what um, our mindset should be as we step into this new year. When I think about following Jesus today, one of the analogies that comes to my mind is the inflatable game called the bungee run. You may have seen one of these before. It's kind of like the inflatable bounce houses, you know? It's like that, except it's a game where you have a harness on and there's like a bungee cord tied to your back and you try to run as far and as fast as you can before that bungee cord snaps you back to where you were. And I actually have a little video that'll just give you an idea of what it's like. Go ahead and take a look at this. No, so that gives you an idea what a bungee run's all about, and as you can see, it can be a good time. But uh, today, more than any other time in my life, following Jesus feels like it's kind of running with a bungee cord attached. There's things that are just kind of giving us this pressure, pulling us back 
to where we started. There are all these things trying to pull you back. Faithfulness to Jesus can feel like a constant battle against these other forces. There's a philosopher named Charles Taylor, and he wrote a book. It's actually a pretty important book. Uh, People have kind of, um, I don't know, it's it's one of those kind of, I don't know, epic or era-defining books, and it's called A Secular Age. And in this book, he talks about what it means to have faith in a secular age, obviously. And one of the key observations that he makes is that today everybody has coming at them all sorts of different spiritual options. So in a high school classroom in Des Moines, you have sitting there students whose families are Christian, whose families are atheists, whose families are Jews, whose families are Muslims, within just a few feet of each other. And that's a rather unique thing, uh, and it's only growing. We have all these different spiritual options coming at us all the time. And so you're constantly exposed in school, in the workplace, in the grocery store with, with people who think you're wrong about the things that you hold most dear. Taylor, Charles Taylor, calls this phenomenon, he calls it cross pressure. Cross pressure. Cross pressure is the pressure that's created by the fact that at any given moment, you're just a degree away from people who disagree with you on things. This kind of spiritual smorgasbord is always laid out before us. And so you might imagine a bungee run, except instead of just one cord coming out the back, there's like cords coming out of you in all different directions that are constantly pulling you different ways. And and if you haven't experienced cross-pressure, uh, you might be living in a bubble. I'm a pastor, and people, nobody lives in a bubble more than a pastor, right? I just like, I sit in a church building. Like, but I still feel it. I still feel it all the time. So that's a little bit what it's like to follow Jesus today. There are constantly these partial fragments of different spiritual options always flying at us, beckoning us to move their direction. And Charles Taylor's point is that it's not just Christians that feel that. Everybody feels it. Everybody experiences the cross pressure. Obviously, I want to talk about what, how Christians should deal with the pressure today. Because on top of all this, we also have, uniquely for Christians, we have what you might call the dethroning of Christianity, at least in the West. Uh, there was a time where churches, the church was kind of the center of the community. Um, but increasingly, that's just not the case anymore. It's kind of been pulled off of its pedestal in our culture and no longer is church or Christianity kind of the default of the culture. Uh, It's, you know, any number of of possible things today. We're all in a bungee run. We all experience this pressure in our faith to kind of pull us in a different direction or this resistance, if you will, to following Jesus today in America in 2022. And so on this first Sunday of the year, I want to talk about following Jesus in the middle of the resistance, in the middle of the pressure. And here's what I want us to know today, and it's simply this. My sermon in a sentence is this. The pressure is a blessing. The pressure is a blessing. Look, we got to learn to stop avoiding it, to stop ignoring it, because it actually creates a tremendous opportunity that Jesus followers in America have never had at least not to this extent. Cultural resistance is not necessarily a bad thing for our faith, believe it or not. The key is to understand how to best engage with it. Now, the passage that you heard Cheryl read is from Acts chapter 4, 
And I want to give you a little of the context leading up into that passage. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 3. Um, you have Peter and John. They're going to the temple. They're minding their own business. They're, they're walking together into the temple to pray one day. Uh, a couple Jews in Jerusalem going to the temple on the Sabbath. This is nothing unusual about what's happening here. This is exactly what everybody should be doing. Uh, however, they, 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 they walk past a uh, crippled man, and he's begging just outside the temple gates. And he asks Peter and John for some money. In chapter 3, verse 6, we read Peter's response. He says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the man hops up and starts walking miraculously. Now, the operative phrase in what Peter said is the phrase, in the name of Jesus. That, as we're going to see, is what's going to get Peter and John into trouble. After this miraculous event happens, a crowd quickly gathers. Uh, Peter seizes the moment. He preaches a sermon to them. Apparently, it was a pretty good sermon because 5,000 people joined the church after that sermon. But look what happens next. The religious rulers apprehend Peter and John. They arrest them, and they ask them this question, Acts 3.7, by what power or what name did you do this? I want you to pay attention here. They're not mad that they healed somebody. They're not upset as, at the big crowd that they've gathered. They want to know what name they did it in. It's not what they did. It's how they did it. What name did you do this in, they say. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment. He gives a fiery response, kind of like saying, hey, did I stutter? Let me tell you again how I did it. Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He's not mincing any words here. The religious leaders, they become worried. They become afraid because they notice these apostles, these are what they call unschooled, ordinary men, and yet they speak with this authority and this courage. And it says they take note that they had been with Jesus. See, uh, Peter and John pose a threat to their authority, and the threat is not really about what they can do. It's about whose name they're doing it in. That's the problem. So they decide to silence them. They say, hey, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. It's the name of Jesus that's the problem here. So what's the big deal about the name of Jesus? They know that the power of Jesus is a direct threat to their source of power, which is the temple. Now, in Acts 3, when Peter and John are walking into the temple and the crippled man is there, uh, Luke is subtle but clear about something very important. Uh, he helps us see uh, that the man, the crippled man, is sitting just outside the temple gates. This man is healed just outside of the temple. Now, the temple, that's the place where, you know, God's presence dwells. That's where all the things happen. That's where you go if you need God. And yet this man experiences something miraculous outside of the temple in the name of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is bringing God outside of the temple. He's decentering the temple's power, if you will. And the people who controlled the temple understood that once that happens, then we will be out of power. They understand this. When people start giving allegiance to Jesus, there's no room for anyone else. It can't be Jesus and the temple. It's just Jesus. 
They know that. If this, if this business of worshiping Jesus, if this business of healing people in his name continues, they're going to be out of luck. And after they threaten Peter and John, they let them go. And so Peter and John, they go back to the other believers. And now we're in Acts chapter 4. And the first... Uh, and, and, and they tell them about what had happened. Now, the Christians at this point, there's this underground ragtag group of people. Um, they're experiencing their first real persecution since Jesus ascended into heaven. I mean, up until this point, it's all kind of Acts 2, everything they shared in common, breaking bread together, praying, signs and wonders. I mean, things are kind of neat. Things are cool. You know, like things are happening. And now all of a sudden, their leaders are arrested. So it's like, oh, wait a second. This is different. This is the first kind of persecution that they experience. And so what do they do? Well, they go directly to prayer. And look, this prayer kind of blows my mind. They don't pray like I would pray. They do not pray for the persecution to stop. They do not pray for their lives to become easier or become more comfortable. They don't say, hey, God, we didn't sign up for this. Can you do something to make them nicer to us? They didn't do that. Look what they prayed for. It says, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great Boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders to the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Listen, every time I read that, I don't know if I should be inspired or if I should just quit being a pastor, because, like, that's next level stuff. You experience persecution, and you're like, you know what, Lord? Here's what I'd like you to do. Give me even more boldness. Make me even more courageous. Help me to not back down at all. And what happens after that prayer? The ground literally shakes. The Holy Spirit fills them. And they get what they prayed for. And they speak the words with even more boldness. Listen, without the pressure, you won't have a reason to pray for more boldness which means that God won't have a reason to make the ground shake. When there's no pressure, you're driven to your couch. But when the pressure's on, you're driven to your knees. That's why the pressure is a blessing. When there's no pressure, you don't get to see miracles. When there's no pressure, you don't get to see God's faithfulness. When there's no pressure, you don't get to see what God can do in you. And as, as uncomfortable as it is, we must learn to be people who see the possibilities, who see the exciting opportunities in the face of the pressure. The disciples were facing this cultural resistance, but this is true in many areas of life. Pressure can be a blessing. On September 8th of this last year, we were, in our family, facing a very dire circumstance. And I'm not going to tell you the details, but I want to read to you a line from my prayer journal from that day. I just found it, went back and looked at it, found it a couple weeks ago. Here's what I prayed that day. I said, we have tried so much and we are tired and scared. We're hurting. You are our only option. It's you or nothing. Help. You guys are like, whoa, Pastor Phil, what's wrong? I don't know that I've ever been so desperate in prayer as I was on that particular day. Again, I can't tell you the specifics of that situation, but what I can tell you today is that God has taken that situation and he has turned it around 180 degrees. He has not only made things better, but we are now experiencing blessings in that area that I did not think we ever would. It didn't happen overnight. 
In fact, if you look in my prayer journal, you can jump to October 5th and you'll see me writing another prayer with very similar language. It wasn't much better at that point. But we didn't quit praying. We didn't stop trusting God and we were ready to worship God no matter the outcome, but we stand here today having witnessed something truly amazing. And listen, I have certainly not led a perfect life, but in my 37 years on this planet, I can tell you that there has been a general pattern in my life that I have clung to God in the dark times, that in those moments I have been driven to my knees, not away from God, but toward him. And as I look back at the low points in my life, the general pattern is that they, they compel me towards prayer and that God shows up in a way that I didn't expect. And so look, I'm starting to learn that maybe there's a blessing in the pressure. I want to talk about what it could look like for us as a community to, to take that to heart. In Acts, they were facing enormous pressure to stop speaking the name of Jesus. Our situation is a little different in many ways, but we all know what it's like to feel the cross pressure, right? As Charles Taylor calls it. And I expect that pressure to increase in 2022. So, let, so let's begin by asking ourselves, what are some ways Christians might respond to the pressure? I'm going to give you three ways that Christians can respond the way I see it. Uh, two of them are probably not so good. One of them I think is better. So let's talk about all three of them. But the three, the three kind of options we have before us would be combat, capitulation, and consecration. Those are our three ways that we can respond to the pressure. And listen, y'all, I alliterate my sermon points one time a year. I'm just going to get it out of the way. Combat, capitulation, and consecration. Number one, combat. That's where you fight the pressure. You go into combat mode. You fight the pressure. The clearest example of Christians who are choosing to fight, who are choosing combat, would be kind of on either end of the political spectrum, you know, the kind of extreme ends. And, uh, you know, probably the most familiar would be those on the, the religious conservative right right now in our country. You see some people who are taking a rather combative mode about um, the pressure. In fact, there was a prominent writer who was writing an article in a prominent conservative magazine, um, and he was writing about how some of his conservative compatriots were being too nice in the cultural battle. And he didn't like that. He said, that's not going to work. That's not going to get us where we need to be. And so he wrote this. He said, civility and decency are secondary values, he wrote. The only way is to fight the culture war with the aim of defeating the enemy and enjoying the spoils, he says. See, for, for many people... The war is being waged, and the front lines are in the halls of legislation, and since the soul of our nation is at stake, then the ends must justify the means. And so for that reason, things like civility and decency, he says, are secondary values. And I assume that if those are secondary values, then other virtues like loving your neighbor and your enemy would also be secondary values. You know, you know when things become secondary values, uh, in my experience, uh, that's really just another way of saying they're really nothing at all. But Jesus has given his followers different words of advice when it comes to dealing with the pressure. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Look, when we're fighting for Jesus in ways that deny Jesus, we've already lost. 
The second way that we can deal with the pressure is through capitulation. That's where we surrender to the pressure. In fact, that's what capitulate means. It just means to surrender, really. But surrender doesn't start with C, so I'd use capitulate, obviously. <laughs> when the authorities told the disciples to stop talking about Jesus, look, it would have been easy for them to be like, okay, yeah, we get the, we get the message, right? Cool. We're going to back off. We're just going to start healing people in the name of good vibes. We're just going to stop speaking in the name of Jesus now. That's not what they did. What did Peter say? He was like, judge for yourself. Should we obey God or man? <laughs> that's, not, that's not the answer the authorities were looking for, but that's nonetheless the answer Peter gave. And so we think sometimes, well, my faith is just going to be like this kind of private thing, just this thing in my heart, you know. It's really just about me. And we, we go on like that. But if you're a table church attender, uh, you've heard me say this a thousand times, that the way of Jesus or following Jesus is a way. It is a way. Our mission is inviting people to the way of Jesus. It's not a feeling. It's not just a set of doctrines that you agree to in your brain. It is a way of being in the world. It is a public expression of the fact that Jesus is Lord and that that changes everything. Now, my theory is that COVID uh, has kind of given a lot of people who really weren't into church or you know, didn't really need to have that public expression of their faith, just kind of an opportunity to exit stage left, right? Uh, in fact, studies show that church attendance is like 50% lower than what it was at times, as much as 50% lower um, than it was before COVID. And, you know, that 50%, they're not watching online. <laughs> Many of them are not watching online. Many people have just kind of said, you know, I'm, I'm out. This is kind of a good reason for me to leave now. Um, now, some people have left the church. Uh, they didn't capitulate. They just outlight outright rejected it. And a lot of times it's because they see what's going on in that first category, the combat group. They're like, whoa, if that's church, then I don't want anything to do with it. And so that's different. That's not capitulation. But there are people who have been like, you know, I, I'm just not feeling it anymore. Or, you know, I just don't really want to have to do anything for my faith. I, I just want to kind of say I'm a Christian, but not necessarily do anything for it. And so I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to play along anymore. Now, um, it reminds me a little bit of what Jesus says in the parable of the sower. He says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Look, there are all sorts of ways that we can capitulate to the culture where we just kind of give in to the pressure, no longer stand up to it or no longer remain steadfast in it, but we just kind of let it take us whichever direction it goes. That's capitulation. That's where faith is about convenience. Unfortunately, there's nothing convenient about carrying a cross. And that leads us to the third way we can respond to pressure. And that's consecration. That's where we can be refined by the pressure. The word consecration means to be dedicated to a holy purpose. To be dedicated to a holy purpose. And in the Bible, certain items could be consecrated for example, the tabernacle and the temple, you have the altar. The altar is consecrated to a holy purpose. And then you've got the priests. They are consecrated to a holy purpose. And at times, the whole nation of Israel will be consecrated. And usually that means God is about to show up. If they consecrated themselves, all of them, like God, like when Mount Sinai, that, they were all consecrated in that moment because God was coming. See, consecration has clarity to it. 
when you're consecrated, you're only about one thing. Only one purpose, and that purpose is for God. The altar in the tabernacle only has one purpose. You don't go sacrifice stuff on it on the Sabbath and then use it for a coffee table on Monday. That's not how you treat the altar. There's a singularity of purpose to something that is consecrated. And you see that singularity of purpose in Acts chapter 4. The disciples are faced with the pressure And for many of us, that means that we have a decision to make. Many of us, myself included, I start thinking, okay, how am I going to respond to this? Am I going to fight it? Am I going to capitulate to it? What am I going to do? But notice, the disciples, they didn't have a decision to make. There was no decision to be made here. They didn't have to debate about what to do. They already knew their role. They were consecrated. They had a singularity of purpose. Their role was to pray for even more boldness in the face of, of the pressure. And notice what happened. And there's a pattern in the Bible. When they, when they doubled down on their commitment to the gospel, that's when the ground shook. That's when the Holy Spirit filled them. That's when the manifest presence of God became real to them. Look, when you are consecrated, pressure becomes an opportunity to experience the presence of God. That's why it's a blessing. That's why you can rejoice in it. The other two options... Combat, capitulation. They don't have that. You know why? Because they want too much. They don't have a singular focus. They want God and something else. They want God and power. God and cultural victory. God and comfort. God and acceptance. They want too much. And I understand how uncomfortable it is when the, cultural, when the culture despises your faith. But I'm trying to help us see it's an opportunity as well. It's not always fun. It's not always comfortable. But it is an opportunity to see God shake the ground. And frankly, that sounds like fun. Stanley Harwas is a theologian that I enjoy reading. He has the same idea. He says, for the first time in years, Christians are free because we lost. No longer are we in control. We don't control the conversation But we can have a whole lot of fun that the gospel makes possible because we do the odd thing of worshiping Jesus. He's saying, look, we're free to be weird now. We lost. We don't have to carry the the weight of of bearing cultural acceptability and stuff like that. It's not ours to bear anymore. We lost. We can just go have fun worshiping Jesus. We get to be the mavericks. We get to be the rebels. We're the weirdos. We're the followers of Jesus. Let's be consecrated. Let's have a singularity of purpose this year. As we go into 2022, let's be a church that has that singularity of purpose. And I know, I don't know what crazy stuff 2022 is going to bring. I'm sure it'll be there. I'm just going to be, I mean, right, I hope we're all buckling up, buckling it up right now. Because who knows, right? I remember in 2020, we were like, oh, 2021's here. Well, here we are again. <laughs> Look, some of you need to put a stake in the ground today. On the second day of the year, you can say, I'm done fighting battles on multiple fronts. I need singularity of purpose. I'm going to consecrate myself to God this year. I don't know what that means for you exactly. Maybe you need to quit listening to your culture warrior political podcasts. I don't know. Like, read your Bible and pray. Look, preaching is easy. Read your Bible and pray. (laughs) Some of us need to put a stake in the ground today and be consecrated to God to be free from all of the pressure 
because he realizes a blessing. It just is, you know what? Whatever the enemy throws at me is just going to become a weapon that's driving me to prayer even more. And when you do that, when you remain faithful, when you're consecrated in the midst of the pressure, that's when you see the ground shake. And there's nothing better than that. I have a prayer that I wrote as a prayer of consecration. I'd like for Table Church to kick the year off by praying this together. And so would you stand with me? It's going to be on the screen. I'll read a line, then you read a line. I'll read a line, and you read a line, so on and so forth. You'll be in bold. It says, O Lord, when the world mocks your word and condemns your ways, enable us to love in return. When sin beckons us with the allure of power and pleasure, enable us to live only by your word. When confusion darkens our vision, enable us to see clearly by the light of your truth. When the temptation to quit arises, sustain our faith and strengthen our resolve. You, O God, are our rock and our salvation. We have no other hope but you. For you are the God who raised Jesus from the dead, and you shall return in glory. We commit our hearts and souls to you. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing one last song.